Thank you. Thanks, guys, for reading for us. Uh, just so you don't get distracted, yes, I'm wearing a funny thing on my wrist. I think it's fractured. <laughs> uh, I've been here before. I waited three weeks last time to go to the doctors, and uh, it was fractured, and they told me I was bad. It's been a week, so I figured I'm doing better than normal. Uh, so you don't get distracted. Because we don't want to get distracted tonight. The passage tonight, it's going to be hard work. I want to be up front. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you'll be lost. Please have a Bible. And again, uh, Alistair or someone will come up uh, with some Bibles if you don't have one. Uh, as you know, we uh, jumped into the book of Hebrews a few weeks ago, and some of the weeks are going to be tricky. So I want to say it up front because I want you to work hard with me because, as Matt has said, we have a great dessert for us tonight, uh, great riches in God's Word. Let me pray that He will help us. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Word is rich. Uh, we know that your word is simple. Uh, we know that you teach us the truths that we need to know for salvation and to rightly glorify you. But we also know that your word, again, is full of riches, is so sweet and is so deep. And um, we pray this evening you might help us to understand this deep word of Hebrews chapter 2. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, have you ever wondered, is this it? Uh, is this all there is to this thing we call life? And uh, sure, there's lots of great things to enjoy in this life. There's friends, there's, there's family, uh, there's the beauty of creation, your hobbies, whatever your hobbies might be, food, we love food, entertainment. Uh, because we live in Sydney and not in London, I'd usually say the weather, but it's been pretty rainy, so not been so great. Uh, perhaps we should be preaching on Noah and the Flood instead. But, uh, but do, you ever, do you ever pause in your day, your busyness of life at uh, uni or work or whatever it might be, do you ever pause and just for a moment ponder, is this it? Uh, is this all, all that mankind is destined for? Is uh, what you see what you get? You know, I get up to, to, to go to work or to go to uni to uh, earn the money or to study hard so then I can get a good job, to buy the food because you need to buy food. And you need to buy food to gain the energy. You need the energy so that you can then go to bed and be refreshed for the next day to get up and then go to work to earn the money, to buy the food. And it goes on. A lot of the time, life's hard. And it's a grind. And it's a little monotonous. So do you ever ponder, is this it? Is this all there is? And partly it depends on your age. Uh, when we're younger, we're, we're rather optimistic still, which is good. Uh, when you hit the kind of middle decades of life, well, then you're in the thick of life and you probably never get the time to actually stop and ponder. And if you talk to an elder, if you're an elder, you're probably sitting there smiling, thinking, yeah, I can tell you something about life. I could teach you a thing or two. I actually do this at the life course that we run. Uh, so if you've, if you've never been to the life course, here's a bit of a sneak preview. But according to research, if the average westernized person like you and me uh, living in Sydney in the age that we do, if any of us were to live to 80 years old, on average, we'd spend 13 years worth of our time, 13 years worth of time at work. We'd spend four and a half years worth of time just eating. So hopefully the food's good. Uh, concerningly, this is the, the bad bit, we'll spend 12 years worth of our time watching screens. So TV, tablets, uh, phones, whatever it might be, your computer. And that doesn't include work. That's not, you know, looking at a computer screen for work. That's just pure entertainment on screens. And lastly, if you're doing the math in your head, you're thinking, hold on, we're not near 80 yet. And that's because on average, we spend 33 years of our 80 years doing what? Sleeping, which is kind of nice. 
But have you ever stopped and pondered, well, is that it? Statistically, that's it. If you live to 80, there you go. I've told you your life. (laughs) Now, for the the vast majority of us here, of course you've pondered that question, is that it? Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. Uh, Most of us here, we know that God's plan for us is much more than those averages I just shared. Most of us here are Christians because we know that God's plan for us is far greater than what you see now, what we see in this thing we call life. And that's what today's passage reminds us of. It reminds us that God has grand plans for us, for humanity. And it's all because of Jesus. And this flows out of last week's passage because last week, and if you didn't hear the sermon, hop online and listen again to the sermon, because last week we saw that Jesus is better than any other alternative you could possibly ever think of. Whatever it is in this life that that, that, uh, this life might try to sell you as better than Jesus, whatever it is that says, hey, if you live for this, this will be the best thing for you. Whatever it is you can come up with to a life that's not lived for Jesus, no, no, the point last week was Jesus is better. Forget the alternatives. Why? Jesus is the king. He's the son of God. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's all those things we saw last week. He's better, better than anything you can think of. And today we learn why. See, why is Jesus ultimately better for us? He is better, he's king, but why is that better for us? So we're jumping back in at chapter 2, verse 5. And just to refresh your memory as we jump in, uh, remember that the first readers of this letter, if you remember last week, what were they tempted to do? they were tempted to go back to the Old Testament law. Uh, They were tempted to to think that angels were greater than Jesus. And part of that was because the Old Testament law came through the angels in the Old Testament. That's how God spoke his Old Testament through his prophets. And so they were tempted to go back to that Old Testament way of life. And I mentioned the angels because that still forms part of the argument here. Like I said, we've got to work hard tonight. See, the angels are still in view here. And the writer of this letter, he's still explaining to those first readers that you need to know that Jesus is better than the angels. And the point for this week is, Jesus is better than the angels because of the world to come. Which is point one on your outline. God's plan for the world to come. So you have a look at chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. For he, that is God has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. In other words, if you remember last week, in verse 3 of chapter 2 last week, it spoke of salvation. So that salvation that we were talking about last week, that salvation world that that all of history is heading towards, because that's our future, this world will come to an end. Salvation is the world to come. The whole world is heading towards that future, and that future... It's not for the angels, is the point that the Hebrews writer is saying here. That world to come, it's not going to be subject to them. No, no, it's actually for mankind. The world to come is actually for us. And we know this because God's creation plan has always been about mankind, which is why we get this quote from Psalm 8 that was read out for us earlier. So have a look from verse 6. And this is the Hebrews writer. He's quoting Psalm 8 to prove his point. So Psalm 8, it testifies, 
says this, What is man that you, God, remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, that is mankind, lower than the angels for a short time. And you, God, crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. And if you remember our Psalm 8 reading from before, the the picture in Psalm 8 is trying to show us how majestic the creation is. Uh, And it is. It's the creation that God has made. The heavens are spectacular. The earth is spectacular in the way God has made it. And yet the point of Psalm 8 is to say, as spectacular as the heavens and the earth is, God has actually given mankind the place of honor and glory within the creation. Uh, God's promise is that mankind will actually be rulers over the entire creation. All things subject to him is what Psalm 8 says. And if you remember Genesis chapter 1, that's what we see right back at the beginning. Do you remember? God created all the things over the the first uh, five, uh, six days, and then he created mankind. And then what did God say after he created humanity? He said it was very good. So humanity was the pinnacle of God's creation. It is the pinnacle of God's creation. And right back in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that humanity was created to rule the world under God. So you have God and then humanity ruling over all of the creation. That is God's plan. And that that was his promise for humanity. But look at the end of verse 8. Look at the the end of verse 8, because what does Hebrews tell us? End of verse 8, as it is, yes, God's plan was for humanity to, to rule creation, but as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, to mankind. And that's the problem. We we hear the promise of Psalm 8, but we don't see it. And it's a problem which isn't too hard for us to see. We know too well that we're not in control of this creation. We can't control the weather as much as we might like. Uh, We can't control the extinction of the species. What did Genesis 1 say? We're to rule the, the animals of the land and the sea and the sky, and yet we can't even stop animals being extinct. How can we rule over them or care for them? And regardless of man-made climate change or not, we can't control that the changing pattern of the weather of our world, be it global uh, warming or global cooling. Uh, There are sicknesses and flus. There are illnesses and disease. We use and abuse the resources of creation. Humanity, what do we do? We overconsume. We produce tons of waste per day. See, God's plan in Psalm 8 is humanity, we would rule over this creation perfectly. And yet, if God's plan is for everything to be subject to and under the rule of us and humanity to be crowned with glory and honor, as Psalm 8 says, well, what's the result today? It's massive failure, isn't it? If that's God's plan and we look at the reality, we fail. We make a mess of it. Most of mankind can't even get their own dogs to sit. (laughs) You've got a dog at home, sit dog, doesn't listen. We're rulers of creation, rubbish. See, dominion over the creation perfectly. That's God's plan. And yet, it's not the reality. You know, we, we look around and we go, well, is, is this it? Is this all there is? So what of Psalm 8? You know, what of God's promise? What of God's plan? Has it failed? Well, of course not. Why? It's because of verse 9. So you have a look at verse 9. Yes, mankind was created to rule. No, we don't yet see the rule of mankind. But verse 9, we do see Jesus. 
we see Jesus. And this is the bit where you've got to work with me. What do we see of Jesus? Well, we see, look again at verse 9, we see that it's him that's been made lower than the angels for a short time, which just means that Jesus became a man. That's what lower than the angels means. It doesn't mean he's less than. just means he's not supernatural, uh, spiritual in the way that they are. He's been made flesh and blood like us, lower than the angel in that sense. Jesus became human. And why did Jesus become human? Again, look at verse 9. It's so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. And we'll think about why that's important in a moment, about Jesus' death. But I want you to notice the end of verse 9. Because what happens with Jesus at the end of verse 9? You see? It's him that's crowned with glory. It's him that's crowned with honor, the words of Psalm 8. And it's all because of his suffering in death. And again, we'll think about his death in a minute. But just in case you're confused, here's, here's the logic. Hop back on board if you're a bit confused. See, God's plan for mankind was to rule the world. That's what God did. He created us to rule. That's Psalm 8. That's the picture. But we look around at the world and it's clear to see that we've failed as rulers of the world. We're, we're not crowned with glory and honor. We don't have everything subject to us. Our dogs don't listen to us when we say sit. But we do see Jesus. We see Jesus who became a man to be the mankind that we were supposed to be, that we were created to be. And so in that sense, it's actually Jesus who fulfills Psalm 8. It's Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor. If you remember last week, it's Jesus who's king. It's him who reigns now over everything as the one who sustains all things by his powerful word if you remember the the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 1 if Jesus stops speaking then creation will stop being he's the one who is the ruler he's the one that has everything subject to him and here's why that matters for us you see God's great plan from the beginning for all time is for us as humanity, as mankind, to reign with Jesus. It's actually for mankind to fulfill that picture of Psalm 8, not by our own strength, not by our own means, but in Jesus. Which is why now Jesus gets called the source of our salvation. And we're up to point two now. And this is really where I'm going to have to get you to work hard with me. You see... Jesus didn't become a man. He didn't become lower than the angels and become one of us only so that he might fulfill Psalm 8. He did it so that he could make the way for us to fulfill Psalm 8. And that's what these verses 10 to 18 tells us. It tells us how Jesus made it so that we might rule the world to come with him. And there's so much detail here. There's so much logic. We can't dig in deeply. Uh, That's what gospel teams will be for uh, through the week, so make sure you dig in. But what I'm going to do is pick up some key ideas from these verses to to help us uh, understand how Jesus is the source of our salvation. And you might have noticed this as we read it out, but did you notice how often death comes up? So just look at your Bibles again. Look at verse 9. That Jesus might taste death. Look at the end of verse 9. Because of Jesus' suffering in death. Look at verse 14, through his death. End of verse 14, the power of death. Verse 15, the fear of death. 
You see, death is at the center here. That is at the, the center of the point that the Hebrews writer wants to make. And it's really easy to see why. It's because death and sin is what stops mankind from ruling the creation. It's what stops us from fulfilling Psalm 8. That's why we can't be what God ultimately created us to be in this world. It actually takes us back to the beginning again in Genesis. Do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve? He said, do not eat from that one tree. Eat from any other tree you want, but the one tree, do not eat from that one tree. I want you to trust me, God says. Don't eat from that tree, because if you do, you will surely die. And what happened? Well, mankind ate. And at the moment that Adam and Eve ate, death entered the world. Sin entered the world. And that has been the problem ever since. If death and sin never entered the world, then Psalm 8, from the beginning with Adam and Eve, would have been happening. We'd be ruling over creation. But because of sin, we can't. And just to put it frankly, because of death, we can't. Dead people cannot reign. Uh, as much as those kind of modern day zombie movies want to say otherwise. But you see, that's what Jesus came to deal with. He came to deal with that problem. That problem of sin and death. And so the first thing that Jesus had to do to deal with the problem of sin and death was to become a man, to become humanity, to become mankind. So that's our first point. How does Jesus become the source of our salvation? Well, Jesus had to become a man to die. And uh, we read of Jesus' humanity throughout this section. Chapter 1 last week, you would have noticed as Troy preached, it's all about how Jesus is God. He's divine. This week, it's all about how Jesus is fully human. It's his humanity. And so to give you an example, look at, uh, look at the end of verse 11. End of verse 11, Jesus can call us brothers and sisters, which is incredible. If you remember last week, Jesus is God, and yet he can call you and me brothers and sisters. And then look at verse 14. Verse 14, because humanity have flesh and blood in common, well, Jesus also shared in our flesh and blood. He became fully human, so he could be like us. But the main reason Jesus became fully human was to die. So this is the next point. So one, Jesus had to become one of us to deal with death and sin. But two, Jesus had to die to defeat death and the devil. See, look again at verse 14. I think sometimes we we forget this. Look at verse 14. Jesus had to become human and die, verse 14, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. Isn't that a strange thing to say? The devil has the power of death. Why is that? How can the devil have the power of death? This is something we might not realize. The devil has the right to demand that we die. The devil has the right to oppress that God punish humanity with death because of their sin. Because, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. Death for sin is actually just. We've disobeyed God. We've broken his world. We've, uh, we've created all these problems in, in our world that deserve punishment. And so the wages for sin means that we should surely die, is what God said. 
And in that sense, the devil has the right in demanding that we face punishment for our sin. It's why the devil gets called the accuser. If you've ever heard the devil get called the accuser, it's because he accuses us of our guilt. He demands that we die. But that's why Jesus came to die. He came to die that death for sin for us. He actually came to face the punishment for sin, which is death and punishment, in our place. Jesus stepped in. And so because I trust in Jesus, the devil can no longer say to me, Mike Lee, you deserve to die. You're a sinner. Yes, I'm a sinner. And you deserve to face punishment for your sin. See, the devil can't do that anymore. He can't accuse me anymore because I'll say back to the devil, no, no, Jesus died for me. He faced the punishment in my place. And if you trust Jesus, the same is true for you. And can I say, this is so important for us to get right. I know it's a bit heavy for a Sunday night. It's a bit theological. But this is so important because of verse 15. So you have a look at verse 15. Because when Jesus destroyed the power of the devil to accuse and to demand our death, verse 15, Jesus also freed those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And doesn't our world today love to try and hide their fear of death? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if this has been your experience, but we don't talk much about death anymore. Uh, we don't let death come up in polite conversation. We certainly don't dwell on it. Uh, there were a time when you'd go to a funeral and there'd be an open casket. You would see the body, the dead body. Now it's always closed, if it's there in the room at all. We don't like talking about death. But the fear of death in our modern world is so real. You only need, to, only need to think about COVID and, uh, and our reactions to COVID with the, the millions of masks that our world has been wearing since this time of COVID. You only have to think about the millions of vaccinations that people have been uh, taking. You have to think about probably the billions of rat tests and PCRs that we've all done. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. They're, they're good things. We're thankful for them. It's wise. If COVID's around, wear a mask. That's a good thing. But... The only reason masks and vaccinations and PCRs and all those things exist is why? It's because of our fear of death, isn't it? Why did people wear masks? Why did they get vaccinated? It's because they didn't want to die from COVID. Or if you think about modern day cars, and, and some of you might not uh, know the reality of the history of, uh, of the safety of cars, but our modern day cars have so many safety things built into them. Uh, there were the days where you'd never wear a seatbelt because your car didn't have any. There were the days that uh, if you had a baby, you wouldn't put it in a baby capsule. Now baby capsules have airbags in them. I don't know if you've seen those. It's absurd, I think. But there were days, and you know, if you're someone who grew up in the 70s and uh, you were, I don't know, maybe 10 and you had a little brother or sister, they were probably in a basket in the wagon of the car. That was the capsule. And they kind of probably moved around as the car went around the corner. That's what people did. But now we have so many safety products in our cars. We have seatbelts and, and helmets. We have compulsory baby capsules. Uh, you have to wear a helmet if you, wear, if you go ride a push bike. Why all those things? Why do you think we have more and more safety products to protect us? It's because of our fear of death. And at one level, some of those things, they're very good ideas. It's, it's, some of it is common sense. Wear your seatbelt. Good idea. But we don't admit the reason we have all these safety products. 
We don't admit the reason we have all these precautions in our lives, why we have medicines, why we go to the doctors so much. Why is it that we do all those things? Ultimately, it's because we're afraid to die. If we didn't care about death, we wouldn't protect ourselves against death. See, none of those things would exist. And so, sure, in our modern age, I think we don't talk about death very much these days, but we very much fear it. I think we might even fear death more than in generations before because they spoke about it a lot more. And you only have to look in the eyes of someone who's been given some terminal news about their health or speak to a son or daughter of a parent, of an early parent who's decaying and withering, who's watching as their parents are dying in front of their eyes. You only need to hear the story of someone who came close to death to see that humanity lives in fear of death. It's so obvious to see if only we look. And in many ways, that's natural. Nobody wants to die. And if we think this is all there is, 80 years in this world, of course nobody wants to die. But even more so if we hear what the Bible says, that what follows our natural death is eternal death and judgment. Of course we should be afraid to die. But here's the thing. If Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, we don't need to fear death. Not ultimately. Don't go looking for it. (laughs) Don't mishear me. But we don't have to fear the consequences of death. Uh, I saw this starkly in a book I read recently on a woman called Lady Jane Grey. Here's a test. Who's ever heard of Lady Jane Grey? A couple of hands, a couple of younger hands. Good stuff. Uh, If you know your English history, you'll know that Lady Jane Grey was called the Nine Days Queen. She was Queen of England for nine whole days. Uh, And I won't explain the politics of it, but she and her husband, sadly, uh, were both executed on February 12, 1554. Now, here's a picture up on the screen. It's actually a painting uh, depicting the scene, and that's Lady Jane Grey there in the middle, blindfolded. Uh, And again, it was brutal. It's a beheading. Uh, That's what's just about to happen. And uh, Lady Jane Grey and her husband, they loved Jesus. Uh, They followed Jesus as their saviour. And just after her husband, Guilford, was executed, uh, Lady Jane Grey would have have watched, actually, as he was brought in to be executed. And she would have watched as he then came out. uh, Again, gruesome, but that's what happened without his head. She, She would have seen that. And it was just about her turn to go in. Her husband had just been executed. She was just about to go in herself, knowing that it was her turn. And she was recorded to have said this. It's up on the screen. She said, O Guilford, her husband, O Guilford, Guilford, the foretaste is not so bitter that you have tasted, and that I shall soon taste as to make my flesh tremble. But that is nothing compared to the feast that you and I shall this day partake in heaven. And when you just imagine being in her place, she was 17, by the way, when this happened, when she was executed. Just just imagine yourself in her place. Staring death in the face, and for her to be able to say that. And why could she say that? It's because she knew that she need not fear the consequences of death. She knew that Jesus was the source of her salvation, that she belonged to the world to come, that this world is not it, that God's plan is for salvation, that death and the devil have no power over us. See, that is the hope of the Christian. We need not ultimately fear death. And that is because of our final point. 
See, Jesus' death paid the penalty for sin. And we've touched on this briefly already, but have a look at verse 17. It's really important we get this. Verse 17. So therefore, he, Jesus, had to be like his brothers. In other words, Jesus had to become like one of us in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Why? Why did Jesus become like us? It was to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that's a big word, but basically what it means is for him, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin. To deal with God's righteous anger and wrath against our sin. So here's the thing. There's no consequence for the Christian in passing on from this life. In his death, Jesus has dealt with our sin. And he's dealt with God's righteous anger at our sin. And so when we, when we leave this earthly life, and I know the vast majority of us here are still young, I include myself, we, young, yeah, Phil too, why not? I know the vast majority of us here are still young, but we will die. Uh, it's, it's the old joke if you've heard it, there's two uh, certainties in life, death and taxes, but now there's tax havens, so we're just left with death. That's our certainty. But the day that we die, what awaits is not eternal death. It's not judgment. It's not God's righteous anger. It's not his, his displeasure at our sin. It's salvation that awaits. It's the world to come. You see, that is God's grand plan for us, for people to find salvation in Jesus so that we might reign with him in that world to come. And that is why Jesus is ultimately better. That's why he's better for us. Because no one and nothing other than Jesus can save us. And for the first readers of this letter, that's what they needed to be reminded of. See, the Old Testament way was not going to save them. They were tempted to go back to the Old Testament law. It won't save. They might have been tempted to worship the angels. They can't save you. And like we saw last week, our temptation, it's not the Old Testament way. None of us here are trying to book a ticket to go to Jerusalem and worship at the Old Testament uh, temple, you know, at the, at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. None of us here are tempted to worship angels. If you are, please speak to me. I need to know about it. That's not our temptation. See, our temptation comes from our modern-day pagan temples of materialism. Our temptations come from the, the pagan temples of careerism and comfort. But we must remember that none of those things are better than Jesus None of them are better than Jesus because none of them can save. None of those things actually have our best interest in mind. You see, whatever alternate life to a life lived for Jesus that you can think of, it's not better. It won't save. And if you go down the path that is contrary to Jesus, well, that path leads to the fear of death and it leads to being under the power of the devil. And whatever path that might be, it's not ultimately for us. See, Jesus is better because he is for us. And if you don't believe that, he is better and he is for us so much so that he died for us. I'll finish with this. I really do hate all those uh, over-enthusiastic feel-good sayings. You know, uh, if you go to a gym or something like that and you see that poster up on the wall or you watch one of those American feel-good movies, and they're called feel-good movies because they make you feel good, you know? They tell you, you're destined for more. Uh, you know, you, you're destined for greatness. And we love hearing that sort of stuff. It sounds so promising. Uh, it's very inspirational, especially when we're young. 
But I hate those sorts of motivational sayings and slogans because they never deliver. See, the gym doesn't really care of your greatness. They just want your gym membership money. You see, those slogans only set people up to fail. But we love, we love those sorts of sayings because we want to be destined for more, don't we? We want to long for more. We don't want the daily grind of this life to be it. We, we long and hope for more. And partly that's by God's design. God has put eternity in our hearts so that we long for more. But can I say, forget the slogans of our world. They're rubbish. They'll set you up for a fail. Rather, listen to God's slogan. What's his slogan? See Jesus. See Jesus who became one of us to become the source of our salvation. There's a world to come and we are destined for greatness in Jesus Christ our Lord. So stick with him. A life with Jesus is better because he's for us. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, help us to be reminded through the temptations of this world that whatever it is in this world that might tempt us to turn our backs on Jesus, Jesus is better. We know he's king. We know he's saviour. We know he is your son. But most of all, we know that he is the source of our salvation, that he's made the way for us to be part of that world to come. Help us always to stick with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.